We're so glad you're listening to the FBC Clarion Podcast. Today, Pastor Jason is talking about godly grief. I'm going to try to give out a fair warning today that there are a number of scriptures we're going to be looking at. I'll be providing most of those for you just as we kind of work through this prayer service today. Speaking about godly grief. As I told you quite often, and just so you know, uh, for those of you who may be visiting or here for the first time, we've been working on a series looking at the struggles of the first century church and how they relate even to the 21st century church. In recent days or recent Sundays, we've been kind of focusing on the idea of unity, and I'm going to tie that in, but I'm taking a break from our regular sermon series today. As I've told you before, I really endeavor not to have targeted sermons, those sermons that like... I'm kind of putting someone or, or a group of people in a crosshairs and preaching to them. But I also don't want to be accused of being tone deaf at the same time. That's a phrase that's used today that people who aren't aware of the events of society, the events of the world, and just kind of go on like with life like nothing has happened. I don't want to be that either. I always give God the right to interrupt my plans. As I told you last week, I have planned sermons well in advance, months in advance. I have like every sermon kind of laid out between now and sometime in September. Um, But God has the ultimate trump card. He always has the right to interrupt my plans, and so I give him that. And so this past week, as I was sitting in my office on Wednesday, Wednesday morning is one of the days uh, I really start to kind of hone down the sermon, get prepared for Sunday, get it in my mind. And I sat there at my office early hours Wednesday morning, and I just stared at my computer screen just kind of overcome, quite honestly, with grief. Um, If you had called me on Sunday and said how you were doing, it wouldn't have been a pretty answer. See, some things that happened this past week that kind of put me in that, I I just want to share a few things. Uh, So you're aware, you may or may not be aware that this past Sunday, the Southern Baptist Convention came out with a report. Uh, It was a report that we, the messengers, uh, the, the people sitting in the pew requested over a year ago at our national convention. Uh, last year, a little over a year ago, rumors started to spill out that uh, the Southern Baptist Convention wasn't ha- handling uh, sexual abuse claims in an appropriate way. And, and there was some rumor that people on our executive committee, that's a, a committee that's kind of oversees the entire functioning, especially the budget area of the Southern Baptist Convention, were kind of sweeping some things under the rug. At our annual convention last year, by an overwhelming majority, the messengers, which is just the people sitting in the pews, we haven't ever seen anybody from our church, but we could, as a messenger from our church to go to the national convention to voice our concerns and to to vote and, and and to voice what we wanted. Well, an overwhelming majority of Southern Baptist people last year called for an independent investigation into our own executive committee. And they were so serious about it, they, we, they waived uh, attorney-client privilege for those people sitting on the executive committee, that they gave full open access to this independent group to, to form a report about how we were doing, especially in the area of sexual allegations and sexual abuse. This past Sunday, that report came out. We've been expecting it for over a year. And to be quite honest and transparent with you, it was horrific. We found out that not only was our executive committee systematically sweeping it under the rug, not reporting people with sex abuse claims and and, uh, accusations in their past to other churches, 
that even some of our own presidents had certain those types of claims against them, and, and we had ignored that for over a decade. It couldn't be any worse. It, it just really couldn't. I received a letter from uh, the president of the seminary. Some of you know I've, I've re-enrolled in some classes at seminary, and because of that, I get the, the president's um, letters. Uh, he had just, at, this, at Southeastern, he had just called a, a convened a meeting of the cabinet of Southeastern, and some of these people had been named in that report. He was in the process of removing them from their honorary chairs. He was taking their names off buildings. He was sponging everything that we had to do with these people who, were, who had been part of this cover-up uh, as best we could. The fact of the matter is, it's not a good day to be a Southern Baptist. And I've already fielded questions in the last week about, what are we going to do? Are we going to leave the SBC now? Well, that's really not my attitude, and I don't think that's the attitude of the unity that we've been talking about in the church. Yes, things are bad, but I'm not one to hook and book when things get bad. I'm the one to be part of a solution and not run for cover when things don't. We succeed together, and we fail together, and we stick together no matter what. I think that's what the Bible calls us to. Is there sin to be repented of? Yes, and we will repent of that sin and do our best to right the ship as we should, that we should be people that show the world what repentance and forgiveness and grace and mercy and accountability all look like when it comes to this world. So that was the beginning of my week. Not long after that, I was flipping through some things, and I caught a little bit of the footage that the gentleman who had gone to the killing spree in Buffalo had posted online and saw some live footage from that event wasn't long after that that the report started to come in of the massacre of young children in Texas in another public school. wasn't long after that I stumbled upon a report of an Indiana pastor, a pastor not an SBC church, but just a pastor at a church in, a, in, in Indiana who was coming forward to confess to a long-held uh, adultery that he had covered up for over 20 years. And at one hand, that looked good until we learned that he was soft-pedaling his repentance when it actually was covering up a statutory rape of a 16-year-old girl and continued to serve for over 20 years as a pastor of a church. And then I stumbled upon a report of a church in Canada that had just aided someone in self-suicide in the church building uh, because they had selected to end their life on their own terms. Yeah, I'm sure I missed a few things from last week the war in Ukraine, but to be honest with you, I'm not sure I could have handled any more at that point. I'm sitting there literally almost in tears at the evil that's in the world and the condition of the human heart and the callousness of people and inside the church and outside the church, and I felt overwhelmed and overcome. The condition of the world that we live in simply caused me an enormous amount of grief. And I began to wonder, if I feel this way, I wonder how God feels about all this. And there was one verse that just kept coming back to my mind, kept coming back to my mind. And I think it shows us godly grief, and I will share that one with you first. It comes from Genesis chapter 6, starting with verse 5. It says this, then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of his thoughts of his heart were on evil continually. And the Lord regretted 
that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. As I contemplated this, this overwhelming grief that I was feeling, this verse about God being grieved is all that I could think about and, and ponder. And, and, and I really just want to tell you this, that, that I've read this verse a lot of times, and I've thought about this verse a lot of times, and I believe I've always thought of that statement that God was grieved more in that God was kind of ticked off, that he was angry. You know, he was upset with the way people were, were uh, behaving, and he was ready, maybe even a little excited, to bring the wrath that was about to come upon the people. And I realized, no, God was really brokenhearted. He was overcome with grief. He was sad. His beloved creation had just positioned themselves to receive his grief something he didn't want them to experience. And he's brokenhearted. He's crying. He, he felt like I did sitting in that chair that morning, looking at all this evil in the world, just overcome with grief. We should never think that although God's justice demands satisfaction, and it truly does, we should never think that God enjoys or somehow is satisfied with us receiving retribution for our sins. He is a God of love and a God of grace, and a God of mercy. And he wants to shower us with those things. And it is because of our choices and the evil that was in the human heart that we position ourselves on our own under the wrath of God. It will be satisfied, but it is not something he enjoys. There is no loving parent that has ever been excited to discipline their children. It is something that must be done. And those of us who have said it in a parent's point of view know what it means when we look at our children and say, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. From the child's perspective, we go, hmm, no, I don't think so. But from the parent's loving heart, we understand that it's a deep breath and a, a forcing of ourselves to do what's best for our children. And so I look at the world and I, and I just realized that, that here we are, and I look at this world, and I think God is grieved all over again. And one of the things that really calls me grief is what I would call spiritual numbness in our world. There just seems to be a numbness to spiritual things, a numbness to God and, and his will and his presence that, that we've you know, just taken some kind of drug that has just made us numb in the spiritual realm. I want to read to you another passage. This is from Matthew chapter 24, 36 through 44. It's explaining, this is a juxtaposition of what happens in chapter 6 of Genesis, that God is grieving, but listen how this explains it. But concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as we're in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. 
so that they will, so will it be the coming of Son of Man. It says two men will be left in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be at the grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But you know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This passage describes and calls for an awakeness, to be alert uh, to the coming of God. But it describes those days of Noah, that they were marrying and giving in marriage. And so I want you to see this juxtaposition, this, this, spiritual, uh, this spiritual numbness, as I call it, um, where the attitude of heaven, God is sitting grieving at what's going on in the day of, of Noah, and the people are marrying and giving in marriage. Is there a, a more polar extreme in the human experience than a wedding and a funeral? God's grieving a funeral in heaven. And the people on earth are marrying and carrying on and just happy with it. There, there's a, a numbness. They're, they're not aware of what's going on in heaven. And so there's this, this numbness to, to the attitude of heaven. Uh, and, and that's something that I see within the day, that we're marrying, giving and marrying. We're happily moving along about our thing and not realizing the grief that God's experienced in heaven. Our wrong response is often when we see these things, we usually do what people do. We blame. We look for someone to blame and give blame. Or, or, and then we result in anger of the situations, but we're missing the idea of who God is and, and what he feels about these things. I think the right response in these moments is first repentance, both personal and corporate. Today I will ask and pray for repentance for what we have done as Southern Baptists. Not that we elected any of those things. As I said, we, didn't, we haven't even sent a messenger to the, to the National Convention. I don't know any of those guys personally. I didn't elect any of those guys, but we are corporately responsible for ourselves. And I think as much as we need to sometimes repent personally, we need to repent corporately for things that have been done in our name to maybe save our name, some would even argue. I think we also need to pray for mercy and for grace. In these tragedies, we often pray for victims, and we absolutely should pray for their grace and for mercy and that God will comfort and for sure. But the one person, maybe the most important person, the most important victim we leave out in our prayers is God himself. That when we sin against one another, we're ultimately sinning against God, our creator, too. And, and we should spend some corporate, personal time saying, God, bless those who have been sinned against. Look out for those who have been sinned against. Be merciful and, and gracious to people who have sinned. But, Father, we're sorry we treat each other so bad. We're sorry we grieve your heart. We're sorry that you look at us and go, man, they're doing it to one another again and again and again. And finally, we should just seek God. Ask God, help me be aware of you. Help me be aware of how you view these things. 
Help me be sensitive to your heart. Help me be like David, a man after your own heart. Wake me up from my spiritual numbness where I just move through life going through motions and not considering the, the spiritual ramifications of things in this world. Wake up your church, Father, from our spiritual numbness where we just move through life doing our duty and doing our religious due diligence and not care and really love and understand what are you doing, God? Give me opportunity to represent you well and help me do that well in our world. And so the first prayer I'm going to do is ask Randy if he'd pray for us this morning and that we would be awakened to the spiritual reality of what's going on in the world. The Bible tells us that the time of the Son of Man will be like in the days of Noah. We just need to be awake and ready to awaken from our spiritual numbness and awaken in a spiritual awareness of people in the world. Because these tragedies often can be that opportunity where we can truly minister the love of Christ in a dark world. Randy. Our Heavenly Father, you have given us so much. You have blessed us so much. But we as a society and even we as a church have often ignored you failed to thank you. You speak to us often. We talked about that in the previous hour in Sunday school, that you speak to all people all the time. But we, as a nation, have learned to tune you out, to even convince ourselves that you don't exist. For all that you've done, for all the power that you've displayed, how can we ignore you the way that we have? On behalf of our community, our church, our community, on behalf of our nation, on behalf of all the people of the world who beg for your forgiveness and beg for your help, Father. Father, we don't, we don't want you to be hurting over our actions, the actions of people, but how easily we are deceived. We, we look at the first example of Adam and Eve who had everything and were able to be tricked and deceived to take their eyes off of the goodness of God and put them on themselves. And Father, maybe of all the people in our country that are most to blame for what's going on in our country is the church. The true Christians are the only one that have access to you, to your prayer, to your throne room, to your power. And we grumble and we complain about the evil we see, but maybe we don't spend enough time calling upon your powerful force and your mighty army to march forward and help us to turn this world away from Satan and back to you. So as Jason said, Father, I pray, first of all, that you would wake us up. Cause us not to be numb. Cause us not to get used to these things like little kids being shot and danger in grocery stores and abuse going on everywhere, cause us to be awakened to pray, to pray ahead of time. There are many people who are now in a position to be deceived by Satan. I call for your protection, even upon the unsaved, Lord. I call for your protection from, from evil so that it doesn't continue to spread. If there's anything good coming out of this, it is that it's causing those of us who have put our faith and trust in you to yearn for heaven even more. Hmm. We look forward to a time where none of this 
will exist. It will only be goodness, and life will be the way you intended it to be. But in the main, but in the meantime, let us not sleep. Father, let us encourage one another to rise up. At least we can be people in prayer all the time, constantly praying for our, for our nations and community and church. Father, help us to stay awake. Don't let us be numb and insensitive to what's going on. We need your help, and you promised that if we asked, you would give us your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we're asking. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. And the second thing that caused me grief is what I would call the failed watchman. In Ezekiel chapter 3, it paints a picture of God calling Ezekiel to be his representative among the people. And he said, I'm appointing you as a watchman. You tell them what I tell you, and if their response will be left up to them. If, if they respond and repent, great. If they don't, then their blood will be on their hands. But if you fail to tell them what I tell you, then you will be held responsible. I look at these leaders of ours particularly, and I think the watchmen, those who are in charge to look out for our churches and look out for people, have failed their duty as the watchmen. They are asleep at the post, and that causes me grief. It happens on that scale, but it happens in the, the smaller scale, like the, the church in Indiana. It happens in many places, and we've all been somewhat called to be watchmen in our community, to tell the words of God to a, to a world. They have the right to make their decision, but we can't be silent about sharing the words of God. I think about Noah in his day. The, the scriptures define him as a preacher of righteousness, and, and I've wondered what Noah's message was when he preached. I bet it was one. And I bet he said the same thing over and over and over to everybody he met. You need to get on the boat. You need to get on the boat. You need to get on the boat. And I'm sure that was one sermon. He had one sermon, and he preached the one sermon over and over and over. And he might have been able to use that great, that great uh, pastoral joke where I'm just going to preach the same sermon until I see you do something about it. Right? You need to get on the boat. It was his job, it was his duty to be a watchman and to warn people of the impending wrath and the salvation offered by a gracious, merciful God so that they could escape that wrath. And we have the same message today. John chapter 3 verse 36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. This is our duty as watchmen. I, in our homes, in our community, in our places that we live, in the world in which we live, we are the watchmen that tell people, get on the boat, accept Christ. In him there is eternal life, and without him you are positioning yourself in the wrath of God. Our leaders should be doing that. And the great question that we have to face, and even the thief on the cross asked this question, do you not fear God? Well, when we have become spiritually numb, and when the watchman falls asleep on his post, the fear of God goes out the door with it. And it is our duty to stand there when the watchman is asleep to call out, to people and warn them about the impending wrath of God. 
The fact of the matter is the church has in many ways ceased calling out the righteous warning of the wrath of God. We have placated people with a much softer, much more gentle, much more inviting, much more loving, much more easy gospel. And the gospel is still the gospel. It is a gospel of love. It is a gospel of mercy. It is a gospel of grace that saves us from the impending wrath of God. And we must call and hold that true. That it's our job to proclaim this warning to the world. And I look inside the church and outside the church, and the fear of God seems to be spurned in our sake. And it is our duty, it is the watchman's duty to call that that warning. That is the church's responsibility. We have been let down by many of our leaders. We have been let down by many churches. May we ask for forgiveness and that we will be good watchmen, sharing the good news of the grace and mercy and love of God that offers forgiveness and safety and salvation from the wrath of God. Vicki is going to pray for the watchman that we will be diligent in sharing the word of the Lord. Lord God, we come to you today and we just lift you up in your holiness, God, and we just exalt you today. And Lord, we just ask God for your forgiveness. Lord, we just pray that you will stir our hearts, God, stir our hearts that we seek after you, Lord, and that we are the watchmen, God, that we are the watchmen to a world who is dying and who is lost. And Lord, I pray that you would stir the hearts of our leaders, God, stir our churches. Lord Jesus, raise up men and women who will be watchmen. Lord, that when we see a world that is dying, God, when we see a world that is so desperate. Lord Jesus, help us, raise us up as watchmen. Lord, when we see people who are going astray, Lord, when we see people who are not seeking you, Lord, who have not given their hearts to you, God, raise us up as watchmen. Lord, I ask God that you stir the hearts of your people, stir the hearts of pastors, God, stir the hearts of senators and representatives, Lord God, stir the hearts of people in this nation and raise up watchmen, God, raise up watchmen to speak, God. And Lord, we just ask God that you give us strength, Lord Jesus, give us courage, Lord Jesus, don't let us be fearful, God. Help us to trust and to go forward boldly and confidently, Lord Jesus, as watchmen who will give the warning that needs to be given. Lord, we just ask, God, we need your help. Our nation desperately needs your help. Lord Jesus, help us to be part of the solution. Lord, raise up many watchmen from this church, God, and from churches all across America, Lord Jesus. Help us to be faithful, to call your ways, God, to call people to repentance, Lord Jesus. And we just thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness, God. We thank you that in the midst of very bleak and grievous times, Lord, we can look to you, we can trust in you, we can have confidence, God, that you will be with us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read to you from another passage from Matthew chapter 11, starting with verse 20. It says, Then he began, this is Jesus, to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazon. 
Woe to you, Bethesda, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, you will be exalted to heaven, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable for the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Jesus is pronouncing a judgment on several cities where he had done great ministry and great acts and great works and miracles and shown the power of God. And he calls out evil cities that didn't repent. And he's like, if what I did in you would have been done there, you would have turned. And the fact of the matter, one of the things that grieve me as I look at our world is our own national sin. Today, we, we celebrate we will remember, we will rightly be proud of the blessings of God that he has given to us as a country. And he has blessed us greatly for, for hundreds of years. And we enjoy the favor, we enjoy the spirit of God in many cases. But in some cases, I think we have spurned or forgotten the blessings of God. The, the great things he's done in our country that we have forgotten those and let those go and if we would remember the great things God would do that we would turn as a country as a nation and repent and turn to God the fact of the matter is that the evil intentions and the depravity of the human heart is fully displayed among our own countrymen we have turned from God and not just those outside the church again those inside as well that we have forgotten the blessings, the miracles that established us in many ways and turn to other gods. The fact of the matter is it is time again for the church in America to awake. Romans chapter 13, starting with verse 10, says this, Love does, not do, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time and the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That the day is coming, it is time for the church to awake and be busy about the task in which we were called to be busy. That we are closer to the return of Christ than we have ever been, and it is our job to be out there telling people of that truth. To be getting people on the boat. This is our task and we can no longer play around with the things of this world. We must wholly wake up and sell ourselves out to the advancement of God's kingdom, for which we serve and which we live in. The days in which we live are truly evil. And they're probably going to get worse. As my mentor would often say to me, Jason, just know this, it's always darkest right before the bottom drops out. That I don't have great news of, of an impending turnaround, but I do have news that there's a kingdom coming for which we can belong, and we're supposed to be getting and adding to that number of that kingdom because it's an everlasting kingdom. It is the kingdom of our king, and it's a beautiful, wonderful place where this evil doesn't exist. 
Repentance and the truth of the matter is repentance and righteousness must begin in the house of God. Because it's way too easy for us to blame others on the outside and not take responsibility of ourselves. It tells us that we must first, as Holy Spirit people, repent and believe and be busy about the task of serving others. In that way, we can add to the kingdom of God. It is about us taking ownership for responsibility of the world. And so I'm going to ask Tim to pray for our nation the collective sins of our nation, and that we will repent for our kinsmen. Father God, we just uh, praise you and bless for this great nation that we live in. We thank you for the many miracles and the blessings that have uh, developed this nation into the nation that it is now. We thank you that we live in a land of plenty. We thank you for the great resources that we have. Thank you for the spiritual freedom and the political freedom that we have. We can worship you freely. We know that freedom came with a, a major cost, Lord. It starts with the, your, your Lord and Savior on the cross. Father God, we think of our, all our soldiers in the many years uh, uh, through this country that have fought for us and defended our, those freedoms. And we thank you for the, the ultimate sacrifice that they gave. Father God, but in truth be told, as a nation, we have failed you. We have failed you individually and corporately, Lord. We've turned away from you, Lord. Instead of humility, we embellish pride and, and deceitfulness. Instead of love, we embellish hatred and discord. Instead of praying and, and seeking your face, Lord, we've ignored you. And we uh, uh, walked away from you, Lord. We, we embellish self-righteousness instead. Father God, we, we need to repent, and that repentance needs to start at the foot of the cross, Lord. We need to lay our hearts out for you, Lord. That is where our grace begins. It's where our redemption starts. It's where it continues, Lord. Father God, I pray that uh, uh, the Holy Spirit, you, you promised it as we come to you, to, uh, uh, know you as our Lord and Savior. You gave us the, the Holy Spirit. I pray that that Holy Spirit would consume us, Lord. Consume us in a, in a way that it would uh, ignite us to, to, to love you and to show the fruits of the Spirit that uh, uh, we need to show, that love, joy, peace, self-control. We, we pray that it would uh, extinguish the, the lust of the flesh that unfortunately have overcome us, Lord, uh, our hatred and our discord and our unforgiveness, our debauchery. Father God, uh, only if we can repent, only if we can uh, let the Holy Spirit consume us, can uh, our nation be healed, Lord. Uh, we know that you love us. You showed that time and time again. I just pray that we could lift up our leaders, that uh, it inspire them to uh, seek you first, Lord. And, 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 and uh, be committed to the country. I pray that we become prayer warriors uh, to, to seek you on a daily basis. I pray, Lord, that uh, we acknowledge you as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and all things will be given through you and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I apologize if by now you feel about as depressed as I did on Wednesday morning. So I don't want to leave you there. Just a moment to talk about hope. At least a bit of good news. This comes from 2 Peter, the second chapter. It says, For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell, a gloomy pits of darkness. But they were being held until the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world, except for Noah and seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteousness, righteous judgment. And so God protected Noah when he destroyed the world's ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick and shamed of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heaped day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the final judgment. He is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desires and who despise authority. I say this is hope because we see that this is a pattern with God, that God's judgment and wrath falls, but God knows how to save godly people. And this is hope for us. The days are evil, the times are difficult, and probably increasingly evil. And, and I said this is a bit of good news. It's not, it's not all good news, but there is hope in the face of this. Because one of the things that the Bible assures us is that, that the difficult times are still going to happen. That though we may pray and though we may long, that in the coming of the Lord, it will get difficult. We will have to endure troubles but the good news is the hope is we have a God who knows how to save and he's given us each other so that we can encourage each other in our endurance and may we face these trials may we face these difficult days in which we which we live with hope a hope of a God who's gracious a hope of a God who's merciful a God who forgives and that if we will position ourselves under his mercy and under his grace by faith then we have hope of enduring. The other kind of bad news with this is that there is a select group of people who will experience this salvation. God, the Bible calls them godly people. It's not talking about good people or, or well-behaved people. It's not, it's not a behavior-based uh, experience. It, it's a relationship identity. It's a relational identity that he's talking about. Are we God's people? Do we belong to the family of God? And the scriptures tell us that, that when we put our faith in Christ as the Messiah, as the only one of God who, who paid the penalty for our sins, we get adopted into God's family. And those are those who will be saved. These are the godly ones, because not because of what they've done, but because of what Jesus did for us. We have received his righteousness and it's been placed upon us. And that is our hope. Not in our own duties, not in our own efforts, not in our own goodness. No matter how good we may be, that we solely rely on the grace and mercy of Christ to save us from the coming judgment of God. 
And so I think it's important. The Bible tells us that there's a time to grieve and there's a time to mourn and there's a time to repent. And I think it's good that sometimes we take those moments to do what the Bible tells us, that we take responsibility for things that we could easily shuffle off to somebody else. Oh, I had nothing to do with that. I, I, I'm not part of that. We could, we could give over that, but much better for us to be part of the solution, to be the people of God who are willing to humble ourselves, turn from our wicked ways, and pray for our country and world. This is what the Bible tells us to do. The days are tough, and there will probably be many more days where we sit here and shake our heads that we see the evil of the human heart on display. But never let us forget there is hope in Jesus because there's a time to mourn, and there's a time to grieve, and there's a time to repent, and then there's a time to pick up and go on and busy ourselves with the task that's been placed before us to be lights of this world, to be salt of this world, and to be on mission in this world telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. We are the only hope our nation has. It is in nowhere else but the born-again Christians who deliver the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the only hope for the world. And we need to realize how precious it is and be busy about getting it out there. Join me as I pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we do. We want to repent. I am broken-hearted by what our leaders have done, by the lives that they've destroyed, by them being asleep on their post, Father. But I will not blame them solely, that we are your people. We are all family. We rise together and we suffer together. Father, just like in Israel, when they would go into captivity, the righteous suffered right along with the unrighteous. And to Father today, we will bear that suffering, but we will bear it in hope. We pray that you will help us. One, Father, help us endure as we live in dark days and darkening days, as we will find ourselves probably saying over and over, I never thought I would see. I never thought I would see this day. I never thought I would see this day. But Father, even in the darkest day, there is hope in Christ. May that hope take us from our knees. May it put us on our feet. And may it help us endure the days in which we live. Father, I pray that everyone in this place, everyone who hears my voice, is ready to see you. Lord, I agree more now than I ever have with the very closing verse of the Bible. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I thank you for the grace and mercy and the patience that you've given to us, Father, that we can prepare ourselves. But I pray that everyone, first of all, examines themselves to find out, are they ready to meet Jesus face to face? Help us be ready. Help us endure to that coming and serve you well. And Father, I thank you for the offer and the hope of salvation, that it's not dependent upon us and our actions and our goodness and how well we do things, Father that you've always been busy about saving sinners. And I agree with Paul, of which I am the first and foremost. I thank you for that grace and that mercy. I thank you for the opportunity to repent. Help us make things right the best we can in our world, but to wholly depend upon you. And Father, receive our repentance, receive our prayers, receive our regret today as a sacrifice for our country, 
for our convention, for our brothers and sisters, and for our world, Father. And help us to pick up and turn from this moment of grieving and mourning to be comforted and to be busy about the task you've called us to. To let the world know the good news of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that there is hope even in these dark worlds. In his name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We would love to know who is listening. Text us at 814-334-8426. We would love to connect with you. Pastor Jason will personally answer your text. And, side note, he loves to answer your questions. So send him a question and he'll get back to you. Have a great week.